Most of us don't like change. We find it difficult. Yet we live in a time when change is bombarding us with increasing speed. Uh, I don't need to tell you this. You recognize how quickly you have to change to keep up with the times. When Jory and I adopted our ninth child, Erica, eight months afterwards, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. We were devastated. We said, God, you've made a mistake. I mean, our family runs at the speed of sound. We can't handle this. But once we got our whole family uh, wrapped their arms around the fact that Erica had uh, CP, we all kind of slowed down and realized we had a member that worked at a different pace. And as we look back at it now, we realize God didn't make a mistake. Erica is the most loved member in our family. She brings everybody great joy. And she's helped us all grow in sensitivity toward her and anybody with special needs and all people. She is God's plan for our family. That was a good change that God wanted us to make. We've all faced big changes in our lives. Think of some of the changes that we've experienced the last 20 years. Terrorism. Before 9-11, we didn't talk about terrorism much at all. And now, you know, you talk about it all the time. And every time you, you fly somewhere, you have to, you know, go through security. and Blockbuster. Remember going to Blockbuster to get a movie? Now you get your movies with Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or your TV provider. Online dating. 20 years ago, it wasn't a big deal. Now many people say that's how we met. Smoking bans. used to be our restaurants were filled with smoke, airplanes. Now public places are smoke-free zones. Cell phones. In 1973, Motorola came out with the first cell phone. It cost $3,995. By 1990, 11 million people had cell phones. Today, 2.5 billion people use cell phones. The Internet. It began in the 1960s. Cooperation between the United States and England and France. The World Wide Web began, began in 1990. So much content has flowed into the Internet that ever since 2005, we've been able to look up just about anything we want to know on the Internet. There are times when God asks us to change. We must be willing to change whatever God asks us to change. Luke records a time when the early believers made a change. Because they were willing to change, the gospel of Jesus Christ went out to the whole world. So let's look at this account when God asked the church to change. Peter was amazing at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many people responded. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he healed many people. He raised a girl from the dead. But all his work to this point was among Jews. What would happen when God asked him to take 
the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. If you want to use one of our Bibles under the seats, it's on page 1101. At Caesarea, Caesarea was the capital of the Roman uh, or the, uh, the, the province of Judea. It was on the Mediterranean Sea, built around a harbor. Those of you that are going with us on our trip to Israel next April, we will see how beautiful all the cities are on the Mediterranean. And we'll see uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa, the beautiful beaches and the surfing. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. A regiment was made up of six centuries of 100 men. Cornelius oversaw 100 soldiers. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius left his Roman polytheism and paganism and converted to Jewish monotheism and their ethical standards. He was a good man. He was generous and he prayed. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, Mediterranean. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. It's difficult for us to grasp the separation that yawned between Jews and Gentiles. Even though the Old Testament foretold a time when the Messiah, Jesus, would cause the message of God to go out to all people around the world, it was difficult for Jews to wrap their arms around them having to do anything with Gentiles. They viewed them as godless and corrupt. They despised Gentiles. They called them dogs. No Jew would ever enter the house of a Gentile or sit at a table with them. They didn't fully grasp that as God's chosen people, they weren't just to keep God to themselves, but to take God to the whole world. This was the prejudice that had to be overcome 
before the Jewish Christians would take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the church would truly become a multiracial, multicultural society. Luke regards this episode as so important that he records it twice. In Acts 10, in his words, and then Acts 11, in Peter's words. The question is, how will God change Peter's deep-seated intolerance toward the Gentiles? The principal subject of the chapter is not the conversion of Cornelius, but the conversion of Peter. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Peter wanted some moral support and some witnesses. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law, Jewish law, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Uh, Peter felt at liberty uh, to enter into the house of a Gentile because God had shown him that all people, that he's called all people clean. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. A speaker, a preacher has never had such a receptive audience. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. If you are new to the church or to Christ, you need to understand that God attitude towards you is not determined by any external standard, how you look, your race, your culture. God accepts every person who's willing to come to him. Cornelius was accepted the way he was. He didn't have to become a Jew. But if his honest, polytheistic 
pagan convictions had been sufficient, why did he seek the monotheism of the Jews? And if the monotheism of the Jews had been enough, why did he call for Peter? Maybe like Cornelius, you sense that something is missing in your life. You want something more. Peter will tell Cornelius, and maybe you, that what you need in your life is Jesus Christ. Inviting Christ into your life may be the next step for you. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, Peter talking, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened. Notice the message that Peter shares here. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, that's John the Baptist, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter wants to make sure that they understand they were not seeing hallucinations. You don't eat with a hallucination. Jesus actually was raised physically from the dead. Now notice the content of Peter's message. It is what you need to believe in order to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. Whether you're a new believer or you're a long-time disciple, this is what you need to share with other people. Peter talked about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He commanded us to preach to the people to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, how were the early Christians to know if God had accepted the Gentiles into His family? How about if they received the same sign the Jewish Christians received? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages they didn't know, just like the early Christians did on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're having a baptism here in two weeks, November 21st. If you've never been baptized or you were baptized as a baby and never been baptized as an adult, let us know. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, be baptized. Peter had spent a lifetime having nothing to do 
with Gentiles. Now God wanted him to change. He wanted Peter to see that he was accepting Gentiles into his community. So Peter, as the leader of the church, had to change also and accept Gentiles into God's family. This was a sea change. This change in thinking for Peter and for the early believers was the reason the church grew so rapidly and spread around the world. They changed. They didn't keep belief in Jesus to themselves as Jewish Christians, but took it to Gentiles as well. Now, why does God include this account in His Word? This is the moment when the gospel pivots from the Jews to the Gentiles. What can we learn from this account? We learn that we must be willing to change whatever God asks us to change. I want to make five observations about change that can help us handle change and see ways we may need to change. First, obsess over the why. You have to talk about why you need to change, why we need to change. If you're sick and you don't know why you're sick, it's much harder to handle. But if you have a diagnosis and you know what you're dealing with and you know that there maybe are therapeutics that can help you, it's way easier to deal with. People change for two reasons, either out of desperation or inspiration. They change out of desperation when they see, unless I change, my life is going to be unlivable. We want to help people change by inspiration. We want to inspire people to change before they have to. We want to inspire people to follow Jesus. We want to give people a reason to follow Jesus. In any process of change, study shows that there are three responses. There are always three groups. 10% are advocates. They're early adopters. They're ready to change. 80% are bystanders. And 10% are critics. They don't want to change. When you talk about why we need to change, you give advocates talking points where they can help bring others along. And you disarm the critics who don't want to change. Second, when God wants us to change, we must follow or get left behind. When Henry Ford uh, developed the Model T Ford, he made them all in black. Well, then other manufacturers began making cars in other colors, and people loved it. They began buying other brands. Henry Ford didn't want anything to do with other colors. He said, people can have any color they want as long as it's black. But then eventually he had to change or he'd lose all his business. He would have been left behind. National Geographic started in, 19, in 1888. They did great for a century. Then in the 1990s, they began to struggle. They made a decision to change and expand their borders. Today they have 200 million followers on Instagram. If Peter had not responded to God and gone to tell Cornelius about Jesus, 
God wouldn't have changed his mind about reaching the whole world. He simply would have had to use somebody else, like John or James. If we refuse to change, it doesn't mean change will not happen. It just means God will have to use somebody else. Third, I believe God is leading us to a church-wide focus on the next generation. We have a whole generation growing up who know next to nothing about God and Jesus Christ. There are 25,000 high school students going to high schools in a 10-mile radius of our church. This does not include private schools and homeschoolers. There are just about the same number of middle schoolers, and there are many more preschoolers and grade schoolers. Most of these young people know next to nothing about Christ. God wants us to tell them about Jesus. God wants us to put an emphasis on young people because 80% of decisions to follow Christ are made before people are 18. I believe God wants our church to focus on children and youth and their parents, their families. We're planning a remodeling project out here in the back patio, backyard area. It started when Carrie took me out back one day and he says, you know, I don't think this would look very attractive to young families the way it is. You know, if you've been here for a while, you get used to something and you just put up with it. And so we're going to remodel the patio. We're going to put in some steps that go up and uh, an amphitheater area that, uh, where people can gather and then put in a new uh, playground structure that kids will love and a place to sit and tables and where it could be, you know, the, the six months of the year where it's pretty nice here where people could gather out there and uh, have a great time with their kids playing. It was uh, inspired by thinking about focusing on young families. Now, focusing on the next generation doesn't mean we don't care about you if you're over 50. We have lots of people that are living the second half of their life. It means that we will invite you to help us figure out ways to reach the next generation. We'll invite you to help in kids' space or the youth program or joining our efforts at McKay Elementary School, tutoring and reading and special events and filling backpacks for needy children. Fourth, we must become a serving church. We need to serve people with no strings attached. Most people who have little interest in church have an interest in serving people, people that are in need. If they see us serving at Edgewood Community Center like we do or McKay Elementary School or other projects, they may want to join in in serving us. And in the process, they may become inspired to follow Jesus. And finally, lead with confident uncertainty. You are most vulnerable when you are most confident. Leading our church through the last 20 months of COVID has been a challenge. Nobody's ever been trained to lead through something like this. I never took a course in graduate school on leading through this. But we've had to make decisions about going strong on the live stream and improving it and when to invite people back for in-person worship and how to set what safety protocols to set up 
We have to try to exude confidence while admitting we can't predict the future. We go with our decisions until we get new information. We must be willing to change whatever God asks us to change. If God has prompted you by His Word or the Holy Spirit to make a change, follow His lead. If God is calling our church to focus on the next generation and serve with no strings attached, we must give it our best effort. If God is calling us to inspire people to follow Jesus, we must do so with the strength that God supplies. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ like Cornelius and his family did, you can do so right now when we pray. Father, thank you for this account you included in your word showing us how the early church was willing to change so that you could reach the entire world, the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And Father, we want to change. We want to be pliable in your hands so we can reach our families, the people we live near, work with, go to school with. We're willing to change. Show us how. And if you, I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray right now and tell God that you want to be a change agent. You want to make a difference in this world. And if you've not given your life to Christ, you can ask him right now. Tell him you believe he's the son of God, was raised from the dead, and you need him and you want him in your life. And ask him to come in and forgive your sins. You pray right now. you and your son 